0: Hi, this is John Deek with 25 Years of the Very Young Composers, which is a program of the New York Philharmonic. The music we're hearing is by Karin Utagawa, called The Wave, and Karin is from Japan, Fukushima, Japan, no less, and it was written just after their disaster. This is Scene 14, Changes, 1973, A Turbulent Year. A near-death experience wasn't the only event of that year, 1973. A minor change at the Philharmonic was occurring that would propel me further into the world of music. There was an internal opening for associate principal bass, which at first I had ignored, but later was encouraged to audition by several people, including the personnel manager, Jimmy Chambers. In short, I practiced hard, the audition went well, and I was promoted from the back of the section to the first stand. I would now occupy the chair previously occupied by the esteemed Frederick Zimmerman, whom I mentioned back in scene six. Given my increasing specialization in contemporary music and composing, This put me more in a position of opportunity in these fields, both within and beyond the Philharmonic. But on the home front an event arose which would wind up shaking me to the core and eventually destabilizing my own marriage. My mother had filed for divorce from my father. This had caught me by surprise since in the recent years both of them had visited us occasionally and things seemed relatively peaceful. They had even taken a trip to Europe together. This kind of event, that is divorce, is always upsetting, but not always shattering. In this case, I have to admit, it became deeply traumatic for, well, all three of us. Without going into all the gory details, my mother became consumed with hatred of my father and also obsessed with demanding that I take her side in the matter. Again, it was as if they were the children and I the parent as the issue of visitation rights and my mother needing financial support came into being. I took care of them as best I could from a thousand miles away, but the problem was I myself had reacted by regressing to the emotions of my six-year-old persona. I sought therapy and was clearly aware that this was a replay of my childhood trauma of their marital battles, except that there were no sand dunes to run and hide, no sibling to share my burden. The situation lasted for years and only became worse with age. My father was destabilized for the rest of his life, and my mother permanently consumed with hatred and needing financial help as well. My father lived in Hammond, Indiana, my mother on the opposite side of Chicago in Woodstock, Illinois. I didn't know which one needed help more, and when I would visit, which would become more and more frequent, I would often rent a car or, or to visit one and then the other, and if I didn't hide the fact of my visit to the other parent, a tirade of accusation would follow, especially violent in the case of my mother. It made me become deceitful in order to placate them. Not a good thing. Of course I took refuge in my music and my natural love of mountain wilderness wherever I could. That summer Bob Rosen and I took a wonderful scary trip into complete wilderness of the northern Canadian Rockies, climbing and even summiting an unclimbed peak. We were in the trackless wild for thirty-one days. We had run out of food and survived on berries and little else. One day, sitting on the summit of a peak on the continental divide, I could see the ridges far to the north and south of me. They were sloped on the Pacific side, and jagged and steep on the eastern side, like gigantic waves breaking in slow motion, only this time I wasn't about to drown. Almost transfigured, I had such a powerful sense of the earth, the tectonic plates grinding, crashing, overthrusting and subducting over millions of years, and we fragile humans so fortunate to live here for this geological instant. Somehow I had to find a way to express this insane joy, crashing against deep depression and self-hatred. Looking back, the path that I eventually took would have been completely unpredictable then. Then but in the end was completely logical. But back in New York, troubles were rising turbulently also at the Philharmonic. I was on the contract committee and we were deep in negotiations. There was a salary issue, but more importantly the orchestra members wanted representation to be heard as to the artistic decisions of the management. We felt that we were not simply employees, but highly trained artists, and we thought that our musical judgments could raise the level of the whole organization. This was mostly unheard of, then, in American orchestras. There were other issues as well, and both sides were resistant. And on the contract deadline at midnight, September 21, the orchestra voted to strike. We played benefit concerts to support the strike fund and were also supported by the Musicians Union, Local 802, and other unions. Pierre Boulez gave a genu- generous contribution to our cause. Constant negotiations followed by caucuses, followed by statements, free concerts, good, bad, and horrible press in the media of the day. But the event which made the strike memorable to the orchestra and certainly to myself was an amazing tour that we orchestra members took by ourselves starting around the seventh week of the strike. Gabriel Banat, a violinist who had recently joined the orchestra, took it upon himself to propose a tour to Europe and in the face of some opposition miraculously pulled together a wonderful tour of Spain, Portugal, and the Canary Islands, all in a matter of days. I watched him closely as he made phone call after telex, after telegram. This was long before the days of email and phone calls were expensive. But Gabby managed to pull it all together and even got a pay rate for the orchestra above what we were earning before. We all chipped in to help out with the managing of this tour. I could go on and on about it. What was wonderful, the marvelous conductor we hired, Yuri Aronovich, our principal cellist, Lorne Munro, playing an incredible Dvořák concerto at midnight, and unbelievably intense music-making in general. But what mattered most was that in the end, when management and orchestra finally regained their mutual respect, the relationship over time became much more cooperative, and each side realized the value of the other, in my opinion. We gained an artistic advisory committee that eventually sat in on almost all negotiations with conductors and soloists. We did not have an official vote, but we were listened to. Things were never ideal. Hey, this is New York, are you kidding? But the balance was much more cooperative. I sat as chairperson of that committee for more than a decade. Wow. Some year that was. But there were more changes to come.